This is the word of the Lord. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisee again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And so they cast him out. 
Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisee near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Let's, um, let's pray. Before we do, I just want to remind you that uh, Jesus is present with us in this moment, and he invites each of us to rest. Some of you, you know that you sinned hard this past week, and maybe your heart was a little bit torn about whether or not to be here this morning or what Jesus' posture towards you would be. But remember, it was Jesus himself that said, I am the friend of whom? All right. So that's pretty good news for us. He's our friend. He's not our accuser. He's our advocate. For those of you with a religious background like mine, this may, you may be tempted to view this gathering as a check in the box, something that you do to prove or earn or keep your good standing with the Father or his place in his family. But let me just remind you, in the gospel, Jesus has already accomplished all of that necessary work on our behalf. Our Father is a forever Father. This is a forever family. And if you are adopted in by faith, you are a forever son or daughter. So you're not here to prove, earn, or keep anything. You're here in response to the proving, earning, keeping work that Jesus already did on your behalf. So take a deep breath. The box of proving has already been checked and just rest. Let's pray and we'll get right down to work. Father, thank you that we're here. We pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done in our hearts as we hear your word. We pray that you would give us our daily bread according to your word, through your voice, that you would give life to our souls. Father, everything we do is hurried. We repent of our hurry and we ask that you would help our restless hearts and our wandering minds be fully present and unhurried uh, in this time and in this place with you, through your spirit, and with each other, your family. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we keep pressing into the Gospel of John. We're already up to chapter 9. Pretty crazy. We're going to finish John by Easter time. And uh, so chapter 9 today, as you know, because we've been at John for a while, the series theme is simply Jesus is life. And the way today that chapter 9 displays how Jesus is life for us is this simple statement found in verse 5 where Jesus once again says, I am the light of the world. This is not a new theme for John. Even before Jesus started opening his mouth in John chapter 1, his introductory remarks, John was reminding us that in Jesus is life, and his life is what? The light of men. Jesus, the light of the world, in him is life and light. So if you don't remember anything else this morning... Remember this. What's chapter 9 of John all about? Simple. Jesus is the light of the world. What's the sermon going to be all about? Jesus is the light of the world. Now, if you're like me, you need something visual to help you remember just about everything in life. So I submit my gift to you for the day. This is a light bright for you, for you, for those of you 
under the age of 30, you don't, this is the original screen time right here. And this screen time was never regulated. Um, in fact, it was just, uh, here you go. Look at this amazing toy. Be fascinated. Uh, light bright. What in the world does John 9 have to do with a light bright? Well, Jesus is the light of the world. And in our rebellion, we are like so many light bright pegs scattered on the floor in front of the toy, unable to see the light of the world. Now, a light bright had an interior light. You'd plug it in, turn it on, and then you would slide a dark sheet of paper over the screen, if you will, and there were patterns on the paper. That's because children in the 80s needed step-by-step, like place the peg in this hole right here. And uh, it was preparing me for the ASVAB all those years ago. And so you'd place the pegs, and as you did, a beautiful tapestry, a mosaic would emerge. Jesus is the light of the world. But in our rebellion, we're like so many pegs, not where we belong in the pegboard with the light of the world filling us with life and light. And then together as an illuminated tapestry displaying the beauty of the light of the world, we're blinded to that light and we're, we're on the ground in our rebellion, unable to get ourselves to the board. The light needs to come to us. Jesus is the light of the world. Our big idea, we'll, we'll, um, does anybody have a light bright? Do you have it here in Okinawa? Fantastic. All right, let's set up some play dates this week. We can all take turns. The big idea flowing out of this truth that Jesus is the light of the world. Here's our idea from the text this weekend. Jesus sees the unseeing and the unseen, light of the world, giving sight to the blind. Jesus sees the unseeing and the unseen light of the world giving sight to the blind. We're going to see two truths and three questions flow out of this chapter. Both truths are wrapped up in the statement, Jesus is the light of the world, truth one. The implications, truth two, he he sees the unseeing and the unseen and he restores sight to the blind. So there are our two truths. And then you noticed as Grant read, there were a bunch of questions on the back end of this chapter, right? So three perhaps of the most important uh, questions we'll encounter. The blind man asked the Pharisees, you want to be his disciple too? So there's question number one. You want to be his disciple? Uh, Question two, Jesus asked the former blind man, do you believe in the Son of Man? That'll be our second question. Do you believe in the third and final question? The young man responds, or I'm sorry, Jesus is speaking. The Pharisees butt in and they ask Jesus, are, are we blind? Are you saying we're blind? And they, they scoff, but they ask the question. That'll be our, our third question. So let's begin unpacking this. Jesus is the light of the world. Guys, just right out of the gates, our view of Jesus is too small. Um, Jesus is transcendent above us, and that is what this title communicates. As the light of the world, the Bible would talk about the light of God as this, in this way, God dwells in unapproachable light. Unapproachable. We cannot go near God. He is so righteous and so holy and so perfect and so unlike us, even though we're created in his image and so far above us. In our rebellion, 
in our sin, we cannot move a fraction of an inch towards the light of the world without encountering his consuming judgment. He is so high above us. We get this sense of his transcendence in Genesis chapter 1. I love this because if what John is saying is true, that Jesus is indeed the light of the world, it's very fitting then that the light of the world's first words would be this. And God said, what? Let there be light. The context was, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Jesus, God in Trinity, so far above us, hovering over, dwelling in unapproachable light. But as the light of the world, he opens his mouth, and his first words are, let there be light. But then we know the story of the Bible. Adam and Eve, our first parents, broke bad, and everyone after them broke bad as well. We have the same nature as they do. We live under the same curse of sin that they do. We break bad, and darkness sweeps over the globe and paralyzes our eyes with blindness. So though we were created to be light, bright pegs in a board, connected to life and displaying the beauty of the light of the world, we are on the ground living in the darkness of our rebellion, seeing evidences of the light, but unable to get back to him and actually despising the light because the light exposes our own rebel attempts. It would be bad news if all we had was Genesis 1, 1 through 3, that the light of the world is transcendent above us. But the beauty of the gospel gives us the incarnation of Jesus where the transcendent one condescended or descended to us. The light of the world took on human form. And my favorite verses in the New Testament, Luke 1, 78, because of the, listen guys, the tender mercy of our God, whereby... The sunrise will visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. We were blinded and unable to get back to the light of the world. So the light of the world came to us in the incarnation to pierce our darkness and to open our eyes. Jesus is the light of the world, transcendent, out of reach, but in kindness and mercy, descending to the darkest place of our existence, opening our blind eyes and giving us sight. That's what we see in John chapter 9 that Grant just read for us. Verse 5 told us, Again, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And because he is, he has a certain kind of work to do. Verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Well, what kind of work does the light of the world have to do? Opening blind eyes. And that's exactly what this entire narrative is about. So let's go to work with Jesus. In verse 1, it says, Jesus, as he passed by, he saw now, we could end the sermon right there, and some of you wish that I would. One of these days, I will. Underline those two words, he saw. Circle them, highlight them, tattoo them, whatever you need to do. If we didn't have the rest of John 9, this would be enough hope for our weary souls today. This is all that we need. Guys, 
in our darkness, we are seen by the light of the world. And even as he's passing by, Jesus does not pass people by. He stops in the darkness and stoops to them. He saw a man blind from birth. The light of the world sees the unseeing. He also sees the unseen. You're like, John, where'd that come from? Well, check it out. Verses 8 and 9. This is after the man is healed. Check this out. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, wait a second. Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Verse 9. Some said, oh, yeah, 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 that's him. Others said, that's not him. But he is like him. He looks like him. So he kept saying, it's me. I'm the man. How come you can't recognize me? What in the world? He was unseen. Guys, a blind beggar, where would, have a, where would a blind beggar have sat day in and day out back then? Gates of the city. So all the residents of the city, day in and day out, they're walking by this guy, pre-rona, no mask, and they don't recognize him. Unseen. Now, 98% of us can identify this at the very least, from our high school years, right? Junior, senior year, you approach the conversation with confidence, and the response you get is, who are you? Like, oh, you go to, we're classmates? And you're crushed, you're devastated, because the person you have seen for four years, three years, has never seen you. They walked by you. Now, 2% of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and you're just graced, and the rest of us are jealous. Congratulations, right? <laughs> The rest of us know exactly what it looks like to be unseen. And guys, in our rebel world, most people walk around unseen. And the beauty of the gospel is it flips all the broken ethical norms of our world on its head and it crushes them. And in the ethical norm of the gospel, nobody is unseen. Jesus, the light of the world, sees the unseeing and he sees the unseen. And he gives sight to the blind. His followers are arguing about his blindness, verse 3. Verse 2, they're like, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answers, guys, you're missing the point entirely. It's, he's not blind because he's a sinner. He's a sinner, but that's not why he's blind. He's not blind because his parents are sinners. They are blind, but that's not the reason for his sin or for his blindness. Why is he blind? Why did I restore him sight? So that the works of God might be displayed in him. Almost as if the entire narrative of scripture is true. That we were created, like Paul says, by him and what? For him and through him. And apart from him, we have no existence. No existence. Guys, we have to be really careful. We look around the brokenness in our world and we're very quick to assign reasons or blame for the reasons why people are broken, hurting, isolated, alone, addicted. What does Jesus say here? It's not his parents' sin, it's not his sin. But we've been created to display the beauty of the light of the world in him. And how is that beauty displayed? He was healed. Jesus went, saw him, went to him in his darkness, restored his sight, and and took that rescued rebel and placed him back in the board of the, the light bright, if you will, and the light of Jesus just beautifully shone through the light of this restored man. So Jesus is the light of the world. He sees the unseeing. He sees the unseen, and he restores sight to the blind. Guys, we just have to pause with that for a second because the scripture would say about all of us that we were blind 
in our sin. We were beggars in our rebellion. We are the blind beggar. And it is such good news for us this morning that Jesus sees the unseeing and he sees the unseen and he gives light to the blind. Guys, if it were not for Jesus, the light of the world, we would not have life. We would not have joy. You wouldn't be able to enjoy beauty. There would be no hope. There would be no peace nothing. Even for those of us in this room who sit here and may be skeptics and not yet believing, Jesus is so kind to you that he caused the sun to rise on you this morning. He gives you light. He gives you life. He, he provides for you. He gives you good gifts all the time. Jesus is the light of the world. All right. Now the narrative is going to give us three important questions that we need to wrestle with. And it, they unfold in the conversation. So his own neighbors don't recognize him. They have a conversation. They invite the religious leaders, the Pharisees, into the conversation. And the religious leaders are like, all right, start over, dude. Tell us how you regained your sight, who did it, and, and how it happened. So he told them. You know, he told them, Jesus spit, made mud, put it on my eyes. I went and washed in the pool of Shalom. I came back, and I, and I had my sight. But they refused to believe that he was actually blind from birth. They thought this was a miracle made for TV. They were skeptics. They wanted proof. So they're like, let's get his mom and dad over here. So they call in mom and dad. They're like, hey, your son here is telling us that he's been blind from birth. And now all of a sudden he can see because of Jesus. First of all, is it true? Is this your son and was he blind from birth? Yeah, that's, that's our boy. That's our boy. Um, all right, here's what he said about Jesus. He said he's not real sure, but Jesus clearly is a prophet. What do you say about Jesus? Now, this moment is a little striking, especially for, well, I don't know, parents and kids alike. Notice how this unfolds. John says that they're afraid to answer that question. Why? Because the religious leaders had already made it publicly known that if you believed and publicly confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, you're out. You're out of the religious community. You're out. You're out. So this would have financial implications. This would be serious. So in their fear, they say, we're not going to answer your question, but our kid is of age. Ask him. That's a savage move. <laughs> Most healthy family systems and structures would be planning the party for their son who was just given sight. Mom and dad, and no shade, because we're not in this situation, who knows how we would respond. So no shade intended, but it is still kind of savage. In their fear, they're like, ask him. And so the Pharisees do. They ask him, point blank. Uh, they ask him. And here comes our first important question. It's in chapter 9, verse 27. And so the man answers them again, and he's like, guys, I, t I told you already. I told you the story. I told you. But you wouldn't listen to me. You don't even believe me, so why are you asking me again? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? So this kid, like me, has a snarky heart and was probably planning this sarcastic the response the entire time they're dialoguing with his parents. And then when his parents throw him to the wolves, he's just like doubling down. Like it's game on. And so they ask the question, and this is straight sarcasm from him. Like, do you, why are you asking me again? You don't believe me. So that tells me you're jealous of me and you want to be his disciple too. 
And as you expect, verse 28, they reviled him. They hated that saying, look, uh, you're his disciple. We're, uh, we're the disciple of Moses. Uh, we know that God has spoken to Moses. Jesus is not valid. And so again, his response, verse 30, the man answers, you guys are blowing my mind right now. This is amazing, he says, incredible, blowing my mind. You do not know where Jesus come from, yet it's clear to you that he opened my eyes. And listen, we know this. God doesn't listen to sinners. You're saying he's a sinner. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to that person. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Guys, they were surrounded by evidence, but blinded to the reality that Jesus, as the light of the world, was the one who had restored their sight. Notice John said they had, the Pharisees were divided, right? They're divided. Now, our, our tendency would be to approach this text and be like, well, some of us in the room are Pharisees, and some of us are not. We know we're all the blind beggar. Inside the blind beggar lives a heart that is perfectly represented by the Pharisees collectively here. And here's what I mean. They were divided. We have divided hearts. Do we not? We have such divided hearts. We think thoughts. We feel certain kind of ways. We have doubt. We have uncertainty. Now, some of you, so we all have that divided heart. So we're not pretending here. There are no masks. There is no Christian who does not wrestle with a divided heart. Okay? Full stop. So let's just be humble. We all wrestle with a divided heart. Some of you have experienced that divided heart. There is enough faith present. Like you have pressed through the division. And though you still wrestle with that ongoing division, you have seen Jesus as the light of the world. You have confessed faith in him. And you clearly can see now. Like you know you were a blind beggar. And you know you can see now. But there are some of you in this room who, for you, your, your heart is so divided still that you're like the Pharisees in the sense that um, you're rejecting Jesus' authority. You want to be near enough the light bright to see the beauty and to be close, but you yourself have not yet believed and regained your sight. But there's an important difference between you and the Pharisees. Notice the Pharisees here. What do they do? Verse 34, they answered him and said, you were born in utter sin and you, you would teach us. And what did they do? They cast him out. They kicked him out. Gone. They ended the conversation. How are you different? You came back this week. You're like the Pharisees and you're like, hey, tell me that story one more time. You've got the divided heart, but you came back again this week. And in your coming back, without saying the words, your heart is saying them for you. And you're like, hey, tell me that story again about the blind beggar who got his sight back. Tell me that story again about how Jesus is the light of the world. Like, show me the beauty again, because this world out here is so broken, and my answers are all coming up short. I've got a divided heart. I have not yet placed my faith in Jesus. I'm not sure, but I want to hear the beautiful story again. Just tell me again. And so I would just, I just want to be the blind beggar for a minute and just ask, pop you right back and be like, that's fantastic, and I'm so glad you're here. But like deep down, you really want to be just a follower of Jesus too, don't you? Like you are coming back. You're here. You see the light flowing out. These Pharisees were surrounded by evidence. Yo, you are sitting in a room full of former blind people whose rebel pegs have been popped back into the light bright by Jesus and now collectively form a tapestry of imperfect but beautiful beauty just 
showing forth this light, and you're like, I want in. I want some of that. And so minus the sarcasm and snark, he's like, what's keeping you from being a disciple? Friends, I would just ask you, why? Why are you waiting? I'm so glad you're asking to hear the story again. But what are you waiting for? Today, liturgically, is known as Epiphany Sunday. Globally, around the church, it's the Sunday where we celebrate that God the Father revealed himself or manifested himself, made himself known through Jesus to people who were far away from them so that they could see that he is the light of the world. I hope that through this question, today is your Epiphany Sunday and that you will leave here. You walked in knowing Jesus was the light of the world, but that you would walk back out those doors confidently saying, Jesus is the light of my world. That's what I hope. Two more questions. Jesus heard that they kicked him out, and so he tracks him down, looks him in the eye and says, do you believe me? Do you believe that I am the son of, uh, son of man? Now, son of man, um, we've explored it early, in earlier chapters of John. It's a loaded title, just like light of the world is a claim at deity. Son of man is a claim at deity. Just like light of the world is messianic, like the promised rescuing king, uh, or light of the world, so is son of man, right? And so Jesus is asking him, um, do you believe in the son of man? And, and the guy says, um, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? In other words, I don't know. I'd like to be able to see him now that my eyes have their sight. Show him to me so I can believe. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Guys, especially for those of us with the divided hearts, especially for those with divided hearts who have yet to confess faith in Jesus, this is the question that Jesus would ask to you next. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And you don't have to come up with what you say back to Jesus. It's right here in the text for you. Ask the same thing the blind man said. Ask, say, sir, I, I don't know. But would you please show him to me so that I may believe in him? Pray that bold prayer. Ask God to show himself to you as the light of the world, as your light of the world. Do you know how Jesus will respond to that prayer? You do, because it's right here. Jesus will say to you, Doug, you've already seen him, because I've been talking to you for a very long time. I am he, and you will believe and he says he believed and he worshiped. That's kind of a churchy word for us. Let me just unpack it real quick. Worship simply means to ascribe the greatest worth to someone or something. And then because they're so beautiful and worthy, I organize or reorganize my entire life around them. So to worship Jesus is to see him as the light of the world, to see his beauty, his worth, his authority, my creator, my rescuer, to confess that worth. And then in light of that worth, I just daily go about the business of reorganizing my life, restructuring my life around him so that he is authoritative over my thoughts, my feelings, my political persuasions, my actions, all the things. Jesus is my king. We got to wrap this up. One more question. Jesus said, listen, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. And so there were Pharisees standing nearby, and now they kick back with a little snark of their own. They're scoffing now, but here's their third question, and we all need to ask this. They say, so you're saying, we're, we're blind? Are we blind? You're saying the religious leaders are blind. We're blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have 
no guilt. But now that you say, we see, we're not blind, your guilt remains. Maybe the most important question you need to ask before you leave this room this morning is just simply that, am I blind? And everything in us would want to answer no, but the gospel supplies an answer for you. Yes, you were blind. Maybe you're not any longer, but you were, and pockets of blindness perhaps remain. But here's Jesus' point. For those who are able to see and confess that they are blind, what, what do you... Let me back up. I was cooking dinner last night. My five-year-old was dying of hunger, hunger, his words, going to die before dinner was on the table. And so what's he do? Every couple minutes, dad, 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 feed me, feed me, feed me. Of course, nothing I was cooking up was quite what he was looking for to satisfy his, his dying you know, hunger pains. Nonetheless, he knew he was hungry, so what did he do? He asked. If you know you're blind, you ask for sight. And that's what Jesus is saying. As he shines his light on you, if you can see and agree with him that you are blind and he is the only remedy for you as the light of the world, your guilt of rebellion will be removed. But for those of you in this room who refuse to agree with Jesus that you are blind and so you do not cry out for help, he says your guilt will remain. Fam, for many of us, it is not well with our souls right now because we are not admitting that we are blind. Many of us have received sight from Jesus, but because we've not been living close to him and organizing our lives around him, pockets of blindness are popping up all over in our lives, and it is not well with our souls. Grant and the team are going to come right now and lead us in a slow response to this sermon through song, through prayer, and through communion. The first song we're going to sing is a, a variation of It Is Well. Fam, let's start where we began, or let's finish where we began. Verse 1. As Jesus passed by, what? He saw them. Family, in your darkness this morning, in your valley, Jesus sees the unseeing and he sees the unseen. You are seen and to be seen is to have your sight restored. Jesus is walking towards you in the darkness. So for many of you, this song will be a response to what the Father has done for you through Jesus. Be glad. For some of you, this song is an invitation from Jesus to agree with him maybe for the first time that yes, I am blind and yes, I need my sight restored. Jesus, please be my light. Be the light of my world and give sight to my blind eyes. Let's respond together.